Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. I am really excited to welcome the wonderful Robert Pardee on the show today. Welcome, Rob. Thank you very much. <laughs> so for those that don't know Rob, uh, following his wife's death, Robert reassessed his life and decided to share the many lessons he learned by becoming a certified life coach, keynote speaker, and most recently author in addition, he pursued his childhood dream to live in Italy, what a fabulous place, and now lives in the same small Italian village his great-grandfather immigrated from. Robert is the author of Chasing Life, A Pimby Tale, and soon to, be too, soon to be released, Possibility in Action. And I have loved your story that you've shared about your wife, Desiree. Rob, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you on. It's a great pleasure for me. It's and it's an honor because I've I've watched a few of your shows and it, they're very impactful. So I hope I live up to your other guests. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for the feedback. That's really kind. So before we dive into your story, I'd love to know what you're really passionate about in life right now. Uh, honestly, to tell you the truth, it is writing. Um, it is the art of storytelling. It, it came out all because I wrote the book about my wife. Yeah. But it really reconnected me to the joy of writing that I had when I was a kid. And we're probably going to talk about everything. So I didn't grow up in an ideal environment, let's say. Yeah. And writing was not considered something little boys did. So yeah. um, it was something that I just pushed down. And I've realized, uh, I think we're all here to express ourselves. Yeah. And writing for me, all three books are different pieces of me. And I'm starting to really just realize how beneficial it is for me, but also how purposeful it's become. Yeah. Do you know, I really love that. I used to, I wrote a book when I was a kid, actually, about just <laughs> brought it back to me. We, we are perceived to have ghosts in our house when I was a kid. Oh, and I wow. wrote a story. My dad uh, actually saw two children sitting on the stairs in our in our house where we lived at in um, Forest Edge. And I was always a bit scared in the house that we were growing up in um, because we always had these weird sounds and the door open and closed and stuff. I actually wrote a book as a child about <laughs> about the child, a child you know and experiencing living with ghosts and the story of that so i think it's so important that we reconnect with our childhood ambitions and dreams and imagination because it, it's something that we all have but we kind of bury don't we as we grow up or circumstances within our life cause these cause our imagination to get squashed or diminished in some way <laughs> so so much so um, it, it's so funny you talk about that and you use s some words that are so important to me, like a PIMBY tale, actually that's an acronym for possibility, imagination, magic, believing, and you. And yeah. what, what I've realized is those are so, so important, which we do bury down because we become adults. And there's some amazing statistics, like children, they laugh around 300 times a day. And adults five times a day. Five. Wow. Yeah, that's sort of, that's an ouch, right? Like, how did we let that all go? Um, yeah. And that's part of the, the story with my wife and everything taught me so much. And I've become, I was very playful with her, but I've become even more playful at this age <laughs> because I want to reconnect to that. And I think, yeah. I think it's so healthy for me to connect to that. Um, and I know that you you traveled back to your childhood place as well. Is that was that part of that desire to reconnect with that childhood essence of you that maybe you lost touch with? You mean to to move here? 
Yeah. Actually, um, it was it was my great grandfather. So I I knew him, which is amazing. Wow. Uh, I didn't know I didn't know my paternal grandfather because he died before I was born. But my great grandfather Antonio, I knew. But it wasn't necessarily coming here to reconnect to anything from my childhood, except for the dream of wanting to live in Italy. Yeah. But it was more wanting to be in control of my life and uh -huh. look the experience with with Desiree my wife her name was Desiree and the experience with Desiree was understanding pursuing dreams and and mm. and living what we called all in and so I looked at my life and I said what is the story I want to look back on mm. And it was, and I'll use this word specifically, it was the attempt to live this crazy dream. I learned early on to leave the word try to the side because we have, we have equated try with an excuse of something not happening, in my opinion. Yeah. I'll try is sort of saying like, but you can't hold me accountable if it doesn't work. You know, I, try. I was like, it? don't try, just do. <laughs> exactly. And so that's part of why I, I moved here. Uh, it was really to, to recreate, to, to recreate wow. everything. That's amazing. And I know we're going to dive into your story, but before we do, what, what is optimal brain health mean for you personally? Oh, that's, that, that's such a great question. And for me, it really is, not being swayed where I'm still navigating my, my ship. So when the mm -hmm. big waves come, it's not letting it capsize the boat mm. or when there's no wind to push me, it's not that I'm just sitting there being inactive. Mm. And so it's part of that, that idea of possibility in action. The book is actually the, hashtag or the personal philosophy I follow that uh -huh. I created that as something to guide me and you know optimal brain health is finding the joy in all the different colors of the rainbow that yeah. life really is yeah do you know I think that's so important and you know it's finding that meaning as well isn't it in every step of our of our journey that often we we forget that there's meaning in everything that we do. And I love that you say that the ship analogy of optimal brain health is not being swayed, not letting your ship capsize. Because so we, you know, we, we are in control of our own ship. <laughs> and we're not, in, not necessarily in control of the waves. <laughs> and uh, like I, I, I think that the, the waves that we sail on are waves of emotion. So we might yes. be in, you know, an emotional ocean. <laughs> as it were but it's making sure that we navigate that ocean of emotion <laughs> in a, in an effective way uh and ride the waves rather than fight the waves uh, and use them to propel us forward as you would do in an ocean it is to navigate through in an effective way and, and not become a victim of of the of the circumstances and and allow our boat to capsize by not not learning how to sail it effectively. One, one, I, I, I love how you really <laughs> colored the analogy. Um, you know, the, the, the ocean of emotion. Uh, I'm just, um, I'm blown away by that. But, uh, you know, there, there are so many different things in what you said. First, uh, there is a technique, which I'm sure you know, which is called, you know, riding the wave. Yeah. Um, so you don't, you don't react right away to that emotion. Just let it... Just let, let it, it come. Come and, and, and see where it goes, right? Yeah. Uh, but this all sort of ties to resilience to a certain extent, which I think we've been sold a bill of goods where we think only certain people are resilient. And we're all resilient. I mean, yeah. as, a, as a species, we've shown we're resilient. We're designed to be resilient. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't survive. <laughs> And it's it's tapping into that, right? Yeah. I, I'm I'm such I'm I'm a 
a nerd when it comes to superheroes and uh, <laughs> science fiction and all that other stuff. So it's like Luke <laughs> in the force, right? Instead of waiting for our back to be against the wall and saying, I can't take one more thing, why can't we tap into it now and always have that resilience present? And yeah. that's like you said, it's when you ride the wave, you, you shift your mindset from the fear of the wave capsizing you to it being more like a roller coaster yeah. where it's, you know what? Yeah. I'm excited about this ride. Right. Exactly. And then it becomes fun and challenging yeah. and enjoyable. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. I'm not a big roller coaster fan, but you know, no, but you, like you say, it does switch your mindset, doesn't it? Cause you're yes. not fearing the, you're not fearing the wave, but you're, you're leveraging its power and emotions have power. Um, um, and you're leveraging it to help you rather than to, to hurt, to hurt you. 100 percent mm -hmm. so i'd love to dive into your story sure. uh, and you can take us back as far as you like take us to desiree take us to your childhood where would you like to go <laughs> uh, i'm going uh, i'll blend them okay if it wasn't for the way i grew up i'm almost certain i couldn't have been who i was for desiree 100 percent uh -huh. so um i i grew up as the son of an abusive alcoholic father mm -hmm. where you know and was that through your whole life from birth he was in uh, abusive and alcoholic or did it happen um, no from from when i can remember actually okay. so the the earliest memories of that and mm -hmm. you know at first you, you you don't know right and when i think back on it i was trying to really figure out the the inconceivable because I didn't understand alcoholism. Sure. And that led to, I think, being more self-aware. Um, also, you know, you become a people pleaser. You try to twist yourself into knots to make sure things don't happen. But there came a point, and really I have to thank his mother for this, my my paternal grandmother. Is that, is that Mary? Was it Mary. Yeah, that's I, I call her crazy Mary in the book, don't I? <laughs> that's Mary or grandma fella. And she would say to me when I was young, look at your father. Don't be like that. Yeah, he's a slave to these things. And there came a point in time I was 13. I finally fought back. Mm -hmm. And physically, I was strong enough. And that was the last time he ever touched me. And from that point forward, I really dug my heels in and that's how I wound up getting into finance because for me, it was get good grades, get a high paying job and have freedom mm -hmm. and money with freedom. So all of those life lessons helped me understand grit and resilience and perseverance and all these things. Then I meet this amazing girl, basically. She was 17, <laughs> I was 19. I mean, and, and she was very forthright on your first. Oh, meeting. she certainly was. She, um, <laughs> yeah, she she let me know that she wanted me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. And the way I grew up, I really didn't value relationships. Let's say I, yeah, I didn't okay. want to be in a because I felt so trapped as a kid. Um, but she she broke me down. She broke mm -hmm. me down soon after meeting her. I already had told my mom I met the woman I was going to marry. I was I was all in like, and we we really were. And you were nineteen when you did that. You know, you were I very was nineteen young. when I met she her. Seventeen, is that right? She was seventeen. I was nineteen when I told my mom I met the woman that I was going to marry. Um, I proposed when I was twenty, and she was eighteen. Wow! Did the whole thing too. I went up to her parents. You know, yeah. I asked questions. <laughs> Um, and we were that disgusting couple that always held hands, always kissed. We were always together. We went to each other's classes. I mean, it was, it, we were just, it, it was incredible. Um, joined at the hip. Totally joined at the hip. Totally. <laughs> and she was a very determined woman. You know, she, from the moment I met her, she explained to me her philosophy of non-judgment which was basically, she didn't want to even judge herself. 
So she never wow. knew any of her grades. She asked yeah. me to look at the grades. Um, I filled them in on applications. So for her, it was always doing her best. And we got married. We we were just we were we were very symbiotic in that we both lifted each other up. We both fed off of each other. We both wanted to broaden our horizons, expand our comfort zone. She entered the MD PhD program at Mount Sinai um, Hospital in New York, yeah. Mount Sinai University. And I was offered a job in the Middle East at the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. She was doing her PhD. So she said, hey, you know what? This is great. I really have to study. I have to write this all. You go there. It's a great opportunity for us. I took less money and more vacation in the, in the, uh, in the package. So we met every six weeks in a different country. So oh, wow. Paris. We, so all the money I was supposed to save doing that, by the way, we were spending. But anyway, um, she finishes her PhD and she said, Robert, before I finish the MD, let me take a year off and I'll come live in the Middle East with you. Let's experience uh -huh. it together. Great idea. Well, to get a residency visa in the UAE, you have to go through a health screening. Uh -huh. And it's basically for contagious types of diseases. Uh -huh. But I said, you know, why don't you just do a full screening? Why not? Right. Uh -huh. And that's when they diagnosed her right before her 31st birthday with uh -huh. stage 3B breast cancer. Wow. Now, looking and back. And she had on no it, idea at the time. She, not, no. She, wow. she didn't have an idea, but she, we both, we did know that there was a tumor a year earlier. But this okay. was 1997. She was 29 years old at that time. She had a history of cystic breasts. They weren't going to do a scan. Huh? You know, they weren't going to do a mammogram. It just wasn't part of the culture back then. So when we were in, in Dubai, mm -hmm. uh, we went to the American hospital in Dubai. He said, let me just do a needle aspiration. And no fluid came out. I At that point, I was completely naive about everything. And I saw mm -hmm. her face and I asked her afterwards and she said, that's not a good sign. Mm. So already there was a lot of this anxiety when, when they took the tumor out, um, they had done a lump lumpectomy and it came back cancerous. And then three days later, she had to have the radical mastectomy. She only had it on one side back then. They didn't yeah. do all the reconstruction. It was, so she, she had to deal with a lot that changed everything. And I have to say when she was diagnosed, though, when I look back now, she was probably metastatic. It probably wasn't yeah. stage three B because the scans weren't as good as they are now. You know, mm -hmm. there was no PET scan back then. Mm -hmm. So, but we were a team, let's get it done. We're going to beat this. She was very aggressive. But the one thing she said when she was diagnosed, and it was interesting because the doctor in Dubai told me, and not because of the Muslim religion, not because he was a man, he, I don't think, knew how to break news to this young, vibrant American woman. And he told me. So I said, let me tell my wife. And uh -huh. when I went to tell her, I said, Robert, I know too much to be dangerous to myself. So I don't want to know anything. I just want to know the next steps. Mm -hmm. And that laid the groundwork for us to, to really become this team. Now, when the cancer recurred, I fell apart because mm. all of a sudden my whole Superman identity of getting her through this and let's fight this together crumbled right in front of my eyes. I, I realized that now I couldn't save her. And... The interesting thing was I saw her trying to help me and I realized well, that's not what this equation is supposed to be. And in, in that I started drinking, I, there were, there were a lot of, I just, I couldn't process it all. And when I realized that she was trying to help me, I think in a way I remembered my mother always trying to help my father mm -hmm. and I was like, oh no. No, that, that pattern is not going to be repeated here. And so I just, from one moment to the next, 
I understood surrender and I understood purpose. I mean, it all, it all became very, very clear because I had to stop trying to figure it out and think long term and the, a cure or a hope or so, And I had to think about what could I do today? What's under my mm -hmm. control today? And the beautiful thing in that was I redefined hope that hope was not going to be future focused. It was a hope, the hope for a great day today. Mm. The other thing that I did is I, I truly understood this big word purpose, which I say all the time, you know, we all think we need to be an Oprah or a Greta, a Greta saving the universe. Um, and no, it could be the smallest thing. It could be cooking a meal for your family. The thing is, mm. don't don't stick on Instagram. It's not to stick on Instagram. It's that you want to give away the results. So I came up with purpose is when my passions came in alignment with my values and I wanted to give the results away. Oh, it's lovely. And, I love that. And I think people oh. forget about that, don't they? Where that, that, that It's so important to do what's, <clears throat> you know, to be in alignment with your values, to feel that yes. you are on the right trajectory uh and you're living you know from your core not just your head but your heart but your heart um and that and that's so important and and i love also that you said that hope isn't about necessarily a few the future um or being future focused but um we have another guest on the show amy kardashian who who had a very war-torn experience in episode four she talked about hope is having open possibilities every day. I love so that. it's very much a, you know, in the day, in the moment um, activity um, and, and looking at it from that respect. Yeah, it's, you know, of course you, you want dreams and, and ambition and goals and ambition for the future, but, and I know it, it is, it was so hard for me to understand as well, but, we're only living right now. Mm. So what is it? What is it that, and this is how my wife and I, we, we learned and literally, honestly, I look back on that period, even during that period, it was joyful. People ask me all the time, but you had to carry, it was an 11 year journey. <clears throat> I was the one that received the news. Well, now the cancer has moved from her liver to her bones, now from her bones mm. to her lungs. And people are like, how did you carry all that? You weren't sharing it with her. Uh, eventually she knew, but we didn't talk about it because uh, she was losing so much weight. But mm. I was like, you know what? Because I saw her laugh. I saw her achieve her goals. I saw us achieve our daily goals. All of a sudden that really didn't matter. I learned a lot about impermanence. You know, none of us are meant to get out of life alive. It's the honest truth, mm. right? We're we're meant to die, which is a hard thing to digest. But once we let that go, wow, all of a sudden you're liberated to really embrace it all. And live in the moment, isn't it? <clears throat> living that day and living that day the best you can. The, the best the best you can. And to a certain extent, there are no mistakes anymore. Because it's not that you're trying to get it all perfect. You're trying to experience it. And that's what shifted for us. Life became an experience, not something to control, not something to manage, not something to figure out. Um, it was just, okay, today, right? And I say now that I realized during that period of time that we can only live an extraordinary life when we value the ordinary moments oh, because we, she, she and I had great experiences. I can't tell you about the five-star hotels, but I can tell you about her giggling at friends. You know, that's, that's the key or that was the key. But when she passed away, I had learned, she became the founding director of palliative care with metastatic breast cancer. Wow. Um, uh, super, I mean, she was just, she was, she was just an amazing woman. <laughs> she was an amazing woman. 
Well, she um, left an amazing legacy, didn't she? For for she all that she did, the work she did in the time she had is far more than many people accomplish for you know living such a long life. So she really, she relived really life to the full, didn't she? She certainly did. And thank you for saying that because that that brings that's a point that sometimes I forget is a lot of people have said to me, uh, you know, it's so sad she died so young, and I'm like, well. Her life was was full of of joy and accomplishment and just wonder, really. So maybe it was just she lived an accelerated life because I know a lot of people that are 85, 90 years old. Boy, they're not happy. (laughs) They're not joyful. So um, I always say. She worked right two weeks before she passed away, didn't she? She really pushed the boundaries right up you know, as far as she could. So she, she didn't sort of submit to it. She, she, she fought it. Yeah. As, as far as she could. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion about the way she lived and palliative care and, Oh, you know, palliative care is about living your best life with a disease. Palliative care is not end of life. Hospice is end of life, unfortunately. And if there are people listening Palliative care should be brought in the moment you're diagnosed with a chronic or terminal disease. It is something to help you live the best quality life you can. Mm. And so for my wife, that meant being aggressive with her treatments, working. Um, I'm hoping I was in the equation. (laughs) (laughs) I think you were. (laughs) Um, So I think you empowered her to work because you... You yourself, you know, you took on the burden of all of the diagnoses that she didn't necessarily want to hear because that would have distracted her from living her purpose. 100%. And um, I, I actually did wind up having to leave my own career, uh, which I did I did willingly because, you know, and, and it's funny because I was an investment banker, right? The investment I was making in our life now, this is this is something I, I'd really like people to think about for one moment. I, I knew that the train was going to to end and probably sooner than than later because of the information I was getting. Yeah. But it wasn't a lost investment. I was continuing uh-huh. to make an investment, not a sacrifice, an investment every day. And that was so much more rewarding than putting that energy into a job and making money. Uh, of course, I mean, money was an issue when she passed away. I had a tremendous amount of debt, but yeah, it was still, to me, the return was so much greater by leaving my job and assisting her full time um, yeah. than having a nursing staff come in or whatever the case would have been. I learned to do a lot of stuff. I could change TPN and draw blood from a port and all yeah. kinds of other crazy stuff. Well, you couldn't win that time back. You know, no. that was precious time. You just you just use the word that is so fantastic. <laughs> and um, and there's a there's a woman named Jennifer O'Brien, and she wrote a book um, called A Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal. Huh? And she has it's it's a very short book, but so impactful. And she has a page about precious time. And I love it. Because time is always precious. Mm. But when you when you confront an, a diagnosis, you're aware how precious it really is. The thing is, we have to wake up and treat it preciously without getting that wake-up call. Yeah. I mean, you That's can get more money. You can get more of everything, but you can't get more time back. Right. <laughs> right. And and it's so when up. she when she passed away, and like I said, because you know she was in palliative care, we learned the difference between extending life and extending death. Uh, yeah, I had learned so much, and she made the decision. She said three words to me, and I knew what she meant. She said, "Robert, I'm tired," and I said, "Okay, baby, rest." And I knew she was telling me to transition care. And within a couple of days after that, that day, actually, she fell into a coma. And mm. um, the moment 
we transitioned care, all her vitals started to go down because mm -hmm. it was there, all that medicine that was, you know, keeping the body active, but yeah. it was not sustainable. And she passed away soon after that. And what I realized is I actually, I miss, I still miss her. I mean, I, I miss her every moment of every day. Um, but I knew it was the right thing. My, my ego didn't let me feel like a victim that life took mm -hmm. her from me. And it, it wasn't any of that. But what occurred for me was being so lost in my own life that I had to grieve my own death. Wow. And that was, that was an amazing transition for me because that I grew so much through that mm -hmm. because Robert, the caregiver, the husband, the lover, um, the friend, all, all, all of that, that life no longer existed. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point you make there because we forget about that, don't we, in the grieving process is the trauma of the shift, not only in losing the person, but losing all of the aspects emotionally, physically, mentally and spiritually that that person gave you you know that emotional bond you had as it were the physical bond the the mental bond that you really you know she really inspired you and also that spiritual bond that purpose that you had associated with the work that you were doing to help her um all all gets broken uh, uh, and and it just completely disappears and and it and it it's huge, hugely traumatic for people who lose who lose a loved one. What so much so? In fact, what what I realized, and I'm a big acronym guy. I mean, I just <laughs> I love to create acronyms. They pop out of my head like you know a popcorn machine. <laughs> so um, one thing I realized is loss at its core is the lack of self and security you lose your identity and the world doesn't feel safe anymore because something yeah. happened out of your control. That could be any loss. That it could, could be anything. Be yeah. Erectile dysfunction for men. Your identity is completely, you know, assaulted. Uh, menopause for women. It could be a, a bunch of different things. Yeah. It doesn't have to be losing a person. It could be losing right. something or, uh, or something that you value. Right. Because Loss and grief, they're tied by the amount of value we placed on that which we lost. Exactly. So grief for me was overwhelming, but it was because of my identity that I lost. And so the other acronym is I, there were five areas that I realized I had to pass through mm -hmm. to recover. And that was guilt whether I could have done something different or survivor's guilt, what, whatever you, yeah. so much. Which can be huge. I know my mum suffered this terribly when and we lost my dad, when he passed yeah, away. I, I was in control of all her supplements and, you know, maybe I should have mm -hmm. made sure she was, you know, took more supplements, but I can't tell you how many times she'd be like, Robert, I don't want to be married to a parent. You, you got to let me and, and, and right, because caregiving is not about fixing. Caregiving is about witnessing more than anything else. You have to let the person be a person and not a thing. Yeah. So you know, that's at the so beginning, important. so important. Uh, when she was first diagnosed, I was like, you know, don't eat the sugar; it feeds cancer. And then it was sort of like, you know, she's got to live her life. Yeah. I can't let my fear interrupt her life's journey. Yeah, I have, to and she's learn. got, like you say, she's got to live the best life that she has right. in a way that is going to serve her. One hundred percent. So um, there was the guilt. There was rumination of constantly thinking about she's gone. Who's who am I? She's gone. Everything's empty. There was understanding impermanence. There was letting go of expectations. The E in grief for me mm -hmm. were expectations. Mm -hmm. My whole life, the the construct I had for the way I was supposed to live my life was gone. Those expectations gone. Yeah. And the F, the F is fear. Yeah, yeah. The fear of 
moving on, the fear of rebuilding, the fear of getting hurt again. I mean, wow, we could talk about a million different fears. And that's where I realized all the power was. The power to use everything I learned and to harness love instead of fear mm. was actually to step past that. Because would I, I asked myself the question, do I want to look back on my life and realize my fear of moving forward stopped me from living? Because if I'm not living, then I'm not expressing what she gave me because mm. that's a part of me. It's, I call it all, I say it all the time. It's a beautiful scar. I am beautifully scarred for having loved, cared for, and lost my wife. And so therefore, I asked myself that question and that helped me push through fear. And there's, there's a bunch of things that I did. And to tell you the truth, we talked about it earlier, right? The whole, you know, reconnecting to your child. Mm-hmm. Loss is this big, right? It's huge. She was like this big hole all of a sudden. Mm. I couldn't find something to fill that hole, but I could find maybe something little and put that little tiny stone in the big circle and then another little one mm. and another little one. And I started to daydream. I started mm. to think about what little things I might like to do. The daydream brought me to Italy. The, the daydream said, you know, look, Life is short. The daydream said, look at what your wife accomplished, regardless of adversity. Mm. Where's the adversity in your life? Yes, you got hurt, Robert. But you're creating barriers because mm. of that. And slowly I put it all together. Um, and I just thought one day, wow, I've really learned a lot. And I didn't realize it, but I had become her life coach. And I said, wait a minute, what's the value in all these stories if you don't share them? Mm. And I, I say it often um, that our stories, if we don't share them, are like taking a beautiful little, I love the glass menagerie, by the way. Do, do you, <laughs> did you remember that play from way back when? <laughs> Uh, I can't remember. I don't know. I don't remember it. My, if my dad was here, he'd be like, Ruth, why don't you know it? <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's, it's so sweet in a way. And, um, but it's about this little girl ha that has all these little glass figurines. Uh -huh. And, you know, if you think about all of our stories, if we don't share their beauty and we just put them in a little curio cabinet and lock them away, they're not really valuable. Yeah. yeah. And so I just finally said, I, I asked myself the question. I moved from what if I fail yeah. to what if I succeed? And I wound up coming to Italy, teaching English for $8 an hour, because honestly, even though I was an investment banker, all my money went to taking care of my wife and not just because of the U S medical system. Um, Partly, you know, in 1997 to try to find supplements were next to impossible and each bottle cost 50, 50 bucks and to try to yeah. find organic food. And that was the, really difficult. And it's still hard today. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was actually having organic products shipped from California. Wow. Um, plus, you know, I was trying to make sure that when, if she was sad, I'd, or feeling sad, I'd be like, well, you know what? We have a long weekend. Do you want to go to Puerto Rico? Okay, credit card. <laughs> you know? uh, and that all just accumulated to the point where th there was nothing left at all. Um, there was a six-figure bill that had to be paid. Um, yeah. So I went back to Dubai, but after everything got paid off, I said, the worst thing that can happen is I'll be you know, an ex age guy living with his mom, <laughs> you know, yeah. that was the worst case scenario. Um, because I didn't want to focus on the, the obstacles. I wanted to focus on 
the possibility. And that's where yeah. possibility in action was born, yeah. actually. Yeah. The whole tag. And what was the what was the first step? What could you remember back to the first step where you were were able to turn the fear into possibility into into having that hope for oh, yourself? Sure. Sure. Um, actually, to, to tell you the truth, the, the first step was starting to think about what is the story I wanted to look back on at the end of my life. It was actually thinking about, okay, so here I am. And I have this belief that if we stay still, we're actually decaying because the rest of the yeah. world is moving forward. That's right. We pretty much do. <laughs> we, <laughs> we age so, faster. There you go. We, we, we age faster. And so I thought to myself, okay, here I am. Is this what I want to be? No, of course, this is what I want to be. So what is the story I want to look back on? And that's where daydreaming became so important because, you know, that's what's, that's the beauty of, of, being a child, yeah. you you can see all these possibilities, and I mean, and no I've, constraints. I've, That's the thing, no. isn't there? We haven't created as a child. We haven't created these constraints in our world that we've imposed on ourselves as adults. So there are there are no boundaries. Yes. Everything is a possibility. <laughs> One, everything is a possibility, and so and if you also think, of, let's say, about sadness, you know. At a funeral, if there are young children, they may look in the, the coffin and see grandma has passed away and will be sad. But if there are a few children in that little funeral room, that funeral hall, you know that after a certain amount of time, they'll be hiding behind trees and bushes and couches and playing. <laughs> and finding joy in the, in the environment that other and people have. Exactly. So it was, it was curiosity more than anything else that when I started to allow myself to be curious, I wasn't making a commitment, right? That that's, that's the, the key because I think we need to bathe ourselves in curiosity for a while Yeah. because making that commitment to move forward seems very uncomfortable because yeah. how can I rebuild my life? That's again, the guilt, right? Is this the right thing to do? I remember the first time I went out on vacation by myself without Desiree and I enjoyed myself. I, I was like, wow, that's, that seems wrong. Like she's not here to share it with. I, though I still talk to her even every day, <laughs> even yeah. now I still, I'm still talking to her, but it was that. So if you ask me anything, what helped me move through fear was allowing mm -hmm. myself to be curious and daydream. Wow. I'd love to get really curious now with with sure. your with other parts of your life and transition to the fun facts. Okay. <laughs> uh, so first of all, fun facts is the five pillars of brain health we're talking about because I love um, mnemonics just like yourself. Um, so F is for feelings, A is for actions, C is our connection to ourselves and others, T is the thoughts that we have and S is our surroundings. So let's dive first into feelings. What is the funniest or most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? You know, it th thinking about that, um, because I, I've, I've seen your program. So um, I thought, you know what? I don't really label things as embarrassing. But what, what came to mind is Desiree was on um, the Oprah Winfrey show. Oh, and, wow. Uh, I was, I was, I was in the audience and I cried hysterically seeing I was, I was the advertisement. So, you know, on channel seven in New York city, I was on TV for two weeks about the upcoming episode. And it was just me bawling in the audience and Aww. people recognized me. Uh, and you know, even Oprah, she she said to me off camera, she's like, you got one ugly cry. Uh, I just, I was so overwhelmed by everything that was happening. But um, so but I think that's really beautiful because crying is so important. And especially for, for men, it's something that um, often is held back 
but it's so yeah. important to release it because it's a release mechanism. It's a vital part of releasing emotion, coming back to riding the wave and not letting your boat capsize. Actually, you are riding the wave. Yeah. You know, people perceive it as your boat's capsizing. It's quite the contrary. It's your, you are riding the wave and allowing that wave to dissipate in, in, in a constructive way. 100%. <laughs> Um, so next one, actions. What is the most rewarding or fulfilling thing you've ever done? Oh, that, that, that's, that's easy. That was taking on the role of caregiver the way I did. Oh. 100%. Um, yeah. That will be the most fulfilling, rewarding, joyful, purposeful thing I probably will ever do in my life because... Wow. It's that whole thing about sacrifice and investment. Um, yeah. It was not a sacrifice. I know I was, my life, my my being in that woman, amazing woman's life was allowing her to, to reach her dreams. Mm -hmm. And I, that's it. And I think it's, a, I think that's absolutely beautiful because we do not give the carers uh, enough credit for what they are able to help the person that's suffering accomplish during that journey that they go on. Um, and I think it's, you know, she, she went on that journey for 11 years, didn't she? Yeah. So it wasn't, a, it, you know, it wasn't as if you were, it was a short term commitment. It was a really long term commitment for yourself. And the fact that you were able to generate so much joy from the experience uh, and and you know achieve so much together by committing yourself to that i think is is really beautiful you know i i would i would just like to say because you know she she played a a big part in that right um where like i said we were very symbiotic but one of the most beautiful things that came from that was a level of intimacy um mm. of having we didn't necessarily talk about death but mm -hmm. having deep conversations about fear and about living life and surrender and, and all these things. I mean, the intimacy she and I shared on a mental level, which actually wound up taking place at the physical level as she journeyed, because mm -hmm. in the last year and a half of her life, physically, it was impossible for us to have a, except for holding hands or something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, that was so amazing to experience and and that's a part of that whole package that wow i i watched her i joke about this all the time because i watched her evolve like maslow says says self-actualization mm -hmm. uh, i awakened <laughs> i was way <laughs> behind her <laughs> um and that's what was so beautiful about that that experience yeah yeah and and i think it's it's something that you know few people actually experience in, in the in the way that you you have been able to experience that 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 deep connection um with someone who's going on a very difficult journey um we often on the individual that's on the journey and perhaps don't spend enough time focusing on the person that's helping them go on that journey, the, their guide, which is what you were, as you say, you became her her life coach. It is you, it is you go on the journey too, and and it's acknowledging that person's journey. I know my dad when my my dad's mother died of breast cancer, and she uh, she had cancer for five years. He didn't really talk about it very much because I think it, it was um, back in the sixties um, where mm. there wasn't really any. Um, the level of care that, that there is now today um but it's it's getting that getting the most out of that time isn't it going back to the time and and really reveling in what you have together as a couple um during the precious times you have and making making the most out of out of those moments so i want For to go sure. on to the next one is um Let's do uh, uh, do connection to yourself. What's the most important value that guides you in life? 
I know we talked about values earlier. Oh, wow. To, to actually pick one. Um, you don't have to pick one. You can pick a couple if you want to. I, I, well, my top five are growth, authentic, authenticity, freedom, uh -huh. connection, and joy. Wow. But I would say that that growth growth probably takes the forefront because mm -hmm. growth encompasses everything. You have to be authentic to grow. Um, mm -hmm. You have to allow yourself the freedom to grow. You have to be willing to connect. Like even you said about about my wife, what we realized is what is there to lose? At the end of the day, we 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 worry so much about being accepted or not being accepted or saying the right thing or dressing the right way. Think about the one way train, you know, this mm. ends one day. And yeah. so for me, I want, I want to connect with people. And oddly, I have not been, a, I have not had a relationship. Um, at the beginning, I attempted a relationship a few times. It didn't work out. I realized I, I don't want a relationship. Mm. What I want is connection mm. more than a, that's where I learned about my, one of the goal of connection um, and connection can mean a million different things. The connection I'm looking for is that I show up as myself and mm. I joke with people all the time. I say, you know, you Ruth, you have a light inside of you. Shine it. The people that need sunglasses are not the people for you. How wonderful is that? <laughs> it's a natural filtering system. Yeah. Get rid of that's those very true. Sucking away your energy. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I think it you know, we we off I think people can be quite um gloss over the importance of connection because the, there's a huge difference between connection and communication because communication is one way you can chuck stuff out there and it absolutely does you know doesn't reach anybody um but connection that can like you say there's a million different things i like to go back to the four quadrants of well-being which is emotional connection i don't know touched on this physical connection mental connection cognitively you know and 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 spiritual connection and and obviously there's many layers beneath all of those um and having that, that connection with people typically starts from an emotional level um, because we, we want to <laughs> be connected with people emotionally. Um, yes. And that's what drives and stories are what help us do that, which is why I love, you know, why it's so important that we share our stories, like you mentioned, is, is, is share our stories and allow our ma imagination to share more. So people 100%. can get connected in so many different ways. Yeah. Okay, thoughts. Next one. What stupid or crazy thought have you often told yourself in the past that isn't true? The, oh, the, the, there are a lot. Um, <laughs> the, there, there, are, there are a lot. Um, so one, one of the things that, that came to mind, and I think it's because of the book I'm just about to publish, and... I realized looking when, back when is on, your book due out? Do you know? Do you have a release date yet? Technically, it is in 13 days. Okay. All right. So, so it's possibility yeah, uh, in action. The book is the, is the link, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's actually, it's, um, it's a challenge for people because uh -huh. it is part story and 52 weeks of journaling because journaling. Wow. Journaling was so important to me. So each oh, week there's, there's a crazy thought that came out of my head. That's, that's, you know, I have like a two page weird story. <laughs> and then as the, <laughs> you know, about it. But one of the things I realized that I carried so long um, with me, that was not true, but I carried as a truth when I was younger is if somebody made a crank call to my Nobody does that today anymore. But back then, you know, you would make crank calls to people's homes. Um, yeah. Or when my when my bicycle was stolen, let's say, my mm -hmm. father would beat me silly 
saying that people don't like me. Mm. And that's the reason these things happen. And I carried that. I didn't realize how much I carried that with me, trying wow. to get people to like me and seek approval um, because I was so afraid I, I was unlikable. Wow. And around, I don't know, 17 years old or something like that, I don't know exactly what happened where I just said, you know, F it, <laughs> basically. I'm like, if people don't like me, people don't like me. I don't want to be a prisoner. I learned a lot about being a prisoner. I learned a lot about moving from victim to thriver. Mm -hmm. um, go through survivor. Survivor is a nice stop place to be, mm -hmm. to accumulate all your energy and get your pieces in line, mm -hmm. but don't sit survivor, be a thriver, yeah. take it all and, and use it. Um, yeah. Again, maybe it was my, my grandmother as well, or maybe it was because I was getting close to graduating. I was going to go to way to school. Um, <laughs> but that, that I carried away for a long, I carried that with me that I was unlikable as a kid. And what was the trigger that let you allowed you to let go of that thought? How did you really let go of it? And, and challenge it because we call these ants automatic negative thoughts and, and often some people have ant infestations in their mind and they need to get a little anti to, to get rid of them all and it takes time but the, the way is to first challenge them and uh, and and you know find out how true is that thought and and often so, it's not true of course for me it, it was a, it was a little better right um or a little easier let's say because i didn't respect my father i didn't like my father um, so basically I got to a point where I was going to say, well, he's the one that thinks that, and well, he's an idiot. So it already yeah. negated it. Right. Yeah. But so you challenged it quite quickly. <laughs> I, I challenged it quite, quite quickly, but how I moved through it, the, the truth for me or finding the truth was thinking about who, who do I want to like me the most? Uh -huh. And I realized it was myself. I realized yeah. that I will always journey with myself. In fact, I will be the last person I know when I die. It will be my last thoughts in my head. It will be me. And so, but that, that came to me, you know, through Desiree's journey, not when I was a kid, yeah. but, but yeah. um, it, was really, it was really understanding who do I want to like me? And I realized me. me. I spend the most time with me. Mm. That's very true. And I think people often forget that, don't they? Yeah. Is they're looking externally for the likability uh, and, and, and ignore the internal, uh, you know, need to, yeah. to love themselves. And to love it, it took me a long time to get to love. <laughs> it uh, took work to get to love. I yeah. started with like, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, you know, it's a relationship, isn't it? Ultimately, yes. is is having a relation, a great relationship with yourself, I love and that. doing the things that help you, and avoiding the things that hurt you. Um, and I like to think, you know, more. coming back to brain health is fall in love with your brain, fall in love with your brain, because your brain is the last. You know, your heart turns off, but actually, your brain turns off last. It's your yes. brain that turns off last in life. And, and they've, they've done some fantastic studies recently around how we see activity in the brain once the heart has stopped, um, which they were not aware of. So fall in love with your brain because that, you, like you say, it's the last, you know, the last thought you have and the last relationship you will have. I, I, I love how you said it's a relationship. It is. We are in a relationship with ourselves. Yeah. It, it is 100% a relationship. Yeah. No. And, and some people end up being in a really abusive one, you know, coming yes. back to your father. Actually, we can cut ourselves a thousand times. Someone cuts us once, we can do it to ourselves a thousand times. And it's knowing how to break that abusive relationship that we may have created with ourselves in a way that's constructive and not destructive, yes. not terminal. Really important, really important. Yep. I love that, thank you. Who do I want to like? Like me the most, which is myself. Uh, final question is surroundings. What's the most beautiful place you've ever visited and what makes it so special? Where I live. Yay! <laughs> Where I live. 
I, I would unplug this and I would take you to my view. I live in the, the National Park of Abruzzo. Uh, I live in a medieval town of 900 people. There's a castle wow. behind my house. Um, There's a lot behind your house? A castle. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, it's just, it's fantastic. And to tell you the truth, it was a very much under the Tuscan sun moment. I came here because I needed to get documents for citizenship. I fell in love with the town. They showed me this house and there were birds living in the house because it was abandoned. And yeah. they said, you know, oh, go look at the view from the balcony, but don't stand on the balcony because it's collapsing. It's condemned. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really going to buy this house. You people are crazy. Uh, <laughs> and I stood on the balcony and every day I just feel so blessed. Wow. Um, and if I could say something real quick, because I know we're running out of time, but yeah, we are, yeah. you know, I, I wanted to just touch on gratitude for a second. I'm very grateful, right? But yeah. I'm grateful for the emotion it, it invokes, not for the thing itself. And I wish people, yeah. when they thought about gratitude journals, are not just listing like really nice, pretty things or stuff like that, but really think about the emotion it gives you. Yeah. It makes me feel special and it makes me feel, have a sense of wonder because I see all these different mountains and they change all the time. That's what I would miss if I wasn't yeah. here. Is the emotion that you, that's yeah. generated through, through seeing it. And I think that's so important, you know, the surroundings is the fifth pillar, but it goes back to the first one, which is feelings is the emotions that we have. And, and gratitude journaling for me, I do it every day is I first of all check in with my emotions so I check with my feelings first and I get curious wow. with them not furious so what what you know what and I'm always surprised because there was always a range of emotions every day <laughs> depending yeah. on the experience and it doesn't you know you're not going to just have one you'll have a different emotion you could be you could be uh, really excited or happy one thing that's happened in a day and and really anxious uh, for for something else, you can have different emotions throughout the day, and that's okay. Uh, and sure. I love it that you're you know surrounding such an important part of generating those emotions in our lives that really help us and and don't hurt hurt us. Yeah, and creating the right surroundings to serve us. Oh my goodness, Robert! What I'd love to dive back into your um, your experience and. Um, that you had as a carer, and I know you've, you you mentioned it was such a joyful one. What one piece of advice would you give to someone who is is a carer who's looking after somebody who's who who's been given a terminal diagnosis? What one piece of advice would you give to anyone who's in that situation? Wow, it um it, it comes back to it's twofold really that let let go of that you are there to fix anything because mm. it's impossible for us to, to fix anything. Um, and the other thing is that life exists until it doesn't. So don't forget the moments that are right in front of you. They say something that we have 20,000 moments a day, which mm. means when our brain, you know, this, when our brain can actually record mm. the memory, the emotion, um, make the most of those moments L look mm. to actually acknowledge them yeah that's so important and, th and thank you so much for sharing that because we do forget that don't we often that we don't make the most of that moment and make find meaning in that moment and find the emotion that that is going to help us and serve us in that moment too right. uh, robert how can people get hold of you sure um the best thing is just to go to my website which is robertparty.com um, I'm an active user on LinkedIn more than anything else. I'm not a big fan of Facebook or Instagram, though I'm there. Um, and then each of my books has its own website. So chasinglifethebook.com, apimbytail.com, and possibilityinaction.com. No, nope, uh, possibility, possibilityinactionthebook.com. The book. <laughs> and we will post all those links in the show notes. So if you miss them, <laughs> then make sure you, you, you get them and do do please visit Rob's website and and read the books because they're absolutely beautiful, um, especially, um, you know, the one with De that you wrote for Desiree, which is which is such a beautiful synopsis of how you found 
uh, meaning and purpose in that experience of not only living the life that she had before the diagnosis, but during that whole experience as well. It was really beautiful. Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I had a few little leaks of tears coming out. <laughs> it was lots, lots, I had tissues to the ready uh, to help me, but thank you so much for sharing your story and, and long may those stories continue to be shared to, to help others. Thanks. And I uh, wish you every success with your upcoming book, Possibility in action and um and all of the work that you're doing to, to help others really live live a purposeful for life thank you thank you so much ruth it's been a pleasure really <laughs> you're most welcome this broadcast is brought to you by WinCheck Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.